Hello, everyone. Welcome to our weekend services here at Trinity Church, whether it's Saturday night at 5, 8.30, Sunday morning, 10, 11.45. And prayerfully and hopefully, we are weeks away from beginning to, step by step, open up our services so that we could have live worship services together. I hope you're doing well. I hope you feel that like you are blessed and highly favored because in the eyes of God, all of us are blessed and highly favored. And I'm excited about this weekend's message. We're still in the book of Acts. We're going to be in the book of Acts for some time. We're in the 18th chapter. And if you were with us last weekend, and if you missed, you can always jump online, trinitytoday.com, or go to the Trinity app, download it, and you can catch up on any messages that you've missed uh, free of charge. Uh, but last week, the title of the message was Tent Makers. And uh, we began our study once again in the 18th chapter. We're going to pick up where we left off from last week. And I've entitled the message this weekend, It Won't Be Easy. Once again, it won't be easy. And if you think about that, is anything really easy in life? And as I thought about that question, I thought, you know, there are some things that are easy in life. Listen to me very carefully now. As humans... We find it easy to criticize, but hard to create. It's easy to give up, but it's hard at times to stay the course. It's easy to find fault, but it sure is difficult to find kindness. It's easy to point out the bad. That comes easy, doesn't it? But it's hard to find the good. We all know judgment comes easy. Forgiveness, well, that's another story. Hate is easy. Love is costly. Nothing in life of true worth or value comes easy. We know that, right? Uh, winning against this pandemic hasn't been easy. Regaining our freedoms from this lockdown won't be easy. Marriage isn't easy. Childbearing and child rearing isn't easy. Getting a degree isn't easy. Living for Jesus isn't easy. And advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ is, was anything but easy. And in the 18th chapter of the book of Acts, we see in this missionary journey of the Apostle Paul in establishing churches and preaching the gospel, it wasn't easy easy, at times extremely difficult. I think all of us can relate to that. I think all of us can relate to Job chapter 7 and verse 1. And look at this translation. It says, the life of man upon the earth is a warfare. The life that we live upon the earth can be compared to warfare. And the Bible does say that we're to fight the good fight of faith. Now, you know, who in their right mind enjoys fighting, right? But there are good fights that we have to sometimes fight. The good fight of faith. And life is really compared to a battleground versus a playground. Matter of fact, it's quite interesting. When God called Saul of Tarshish, who ended up becoming the Apostle Paul, when God called him in Acts chapter 9, it's interesting, 
Jesus said these words to Saul. <laughs> he said through, the, through Ananias, one of his servants that prayed for Saul to receive his sight and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to show Paul all the things he'll have to suffer for my name's sake. How would you like to start out in ministry? And that's, what, that's the, the encouraging words of Jesus. You know, right, right out of the chute, right out of the gate, he tells you, I'm going to show you all the things you're going to suffer for my name's sake. Matter of fact, how many people would answer an altar call and, and receive Jesus into their life and become a Christian if the invitation of the preacher was, come to Christ and I'll show you, he'll show you all the things you're going to have to suffer for his name's sake. So really, but we know, life is more like a battleground than it is a playground. Now, last week, we studied how the Apostle Paul found a team, he found a trade, he was a tent maker, and he found a temple or the synagogue, a church, and he had those three things. He had, he had a friend, he had a trade, he had a church. He had a team, he had a trade, he had a temple. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week and Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 5, two verses to open up with. But after Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, he spent all his time preaching to the Jews about Jesus the Messiah. And finally, they turned against him and insulted him. So he shook the dust from his clothes and told them, Whatever happens to you will be your own fault. I am not to blame. From now on, I am going to preach to the Gentiles. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the word. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. Speak Holy Spirit through the Holy Scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Notice that Paul is, going to, is discovering that it's not always easy to preach the gospel, to win souls, to do the work that Christ has called us to do, to establish churches, to, to take the gospel to the four corners of the earth. It's not always easy. And there are times when people will attack you and people will come against you. This is one of those times in the life of the Apostle Paul where people were coming against him for the preaching of Jesus being the Savior of the world. So he did something interesting. It says that he shook the dust from his clothes. That, that captured my attention. Uh, he shook the dust from his clothes. There are times you're going to have to shake the dust from your life. Uh, matter of fact, some refer to this act as, listen to me, the sacrament of failure. Sometimes things do not end the way we would like them to end. Sometimes no fault of our own, the fault of others. In this case, it wasn't Paul's fault. He presented the good news. It was their fault. They rejected the good news. And so this is called the sacrament of failure. Jesus alluded to this in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 14. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. There are times we need to shake the dust from our lives. Now, what's the significance of this? Well, first of all, in the Old Testament, the Jews considered themselves defiled by the very dust of the heathen, the very dirt of a heathen country, which was represented uh, by the prophets as a polluted land. Hence, this 
graphic illustration of separation from those heathen lands by shaking the dust from your clothes or off your feet. As talked about in the book of Amos, chapter 7, verse 17, for those of you that are taking notes. Now, we all know, living in West Texas, there's a lot of dust in West Texas, right? Um, If you think about it, dust is pretty disgusting. Uh, If you actually found out what was in dust, it would, we would all, I think, be wearing face masks the rest of our life, okay? Um, there's plant pollen in dust, human and animal hairs in dust, textile fibers, uh, paper fibers, minerals from outdoor soil, human skin cells, burnt meteorite particles, and many other materials that would make you weep if we actually knew what was in dust itself. So dust, it's disgusting. Dust is dirty. Dust represents death. You know, one of my favorite movies of all time was the movie Gladiator. And there's a scene in that movie where Proximo tells Gladiator, we are mortals, are but shadows and dust, shadows and dust, Maximus, right? And really, at the end of the day, the Bible says, from dust to dust we shall return. So dust represents death. And Paul shook the dust from his clothes. Jesus said, if you go into a city, you go into a home, and they reject you, meaning you representing Christ as an ambassador of Christ, you're to shake the dust from your feet. There's other spiritual, there's more spiritual significance to dust. In the Bible, what happened to the serpent when God cursed him in the garden, representing Satan? He became a snake to crawl in the dust, to eat the dust, right? Devils are in the dust. Listen to me now. Devils are in the, in the dust. Scripture says we're to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. The Bible says that Satan will be crushed under our feet. So, Dust is pretty disgusting. Dust has spiritual significance. And uh, Paul had to shake the dust from his clothes because they had rejected the good news of the gospel. Today we might say, I wash my hands of this situation. In my devotional reading, I'm in the book of Acts, and I read in the chapter today where this morning where Pilate washed his hands from the blood of Jesus, right? Um, Paul was saying here, All right, I'm done preaching to you. You're not worthy of my time or this gospel message. I will turn and go to the Gentiles, and it will be your fault when judgment comes. Pretty strong, I know. You really wouldn't hear a modern preacher today say something like that, but the Apostle Paul says, I clean my hands of you. You see, Paul understood what was talked about in the book of Ezekiel chapter 3. If you do not warn the wicked to turn from their wicked ways, and that wicked person dies in their sin, I will require their blood on your hands. Paul took that warning seriously. And so, to whomever, wherever, however, and whenever, he shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was, he was a debtor to this world. He was a debtor, and the debt that he owed was to share the good news of Jesus Christ It wasn't his responsibility whether people accepted it or not, whether people rejected it or not. It was his job to speak it, his job to share it. And once he did share it, 
If they refused to listen, then their blood was on their own heads. Paul was now innocent of the blood of men because he had presented the gospel truth. It would be comparable today if somebody had COVID-19 and knowingly they started coughing on people or sneezing on people right, to spread this hideous disease. Uh, they would be guilty in some states. Uh, uh, they're talking about you know, trying them under a, uh, a terrorist act if you knowingly have the disease and you want to spread it. Well, there's a great disease that has plagued humanity since the fall of man, and it's sin. And there's only one antidote, and it's the blood of Jesus. And what if, what if somebody had the cure for the vaccine for COVID-19, and they withheld it? That would be criminal, wouldn't it? We have the cure for the, the great ills of our world, which is sin and our separation from God, and it's the blood of Jesus. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and we are compelled, we are compelled to speak the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, to warn each and every generation of the coming judgment if man rejects God's only begotten Son. Dust! Paul shook the dust from his clothes. He said, my hands are clean from the blood, your blood, I've warned you, I've done my my part. You know, Jesus washed the dust from the feet of his own disciples. Towards the end of his ministry, uh, prior to his trial and, and crucifixion, he performed one of the most selfless, incredible acts of love and service when he wrapped a towel around his waist and he got down and he washed the dirty feet, the dust off the feet of his disciples. It was a custom in the time of Christ that if you were a guest in somebody's home, you were, they provided uh, water and a basin for you to refresh yourself by washing your feet. You would not dare walk into somebody's home with dusty, dirty feet. You know, one of the, one of the good things that's coming out of this uh, pandemic is uh, in our house, uh, based on the advice of uh, medical personnel, we, we are now taking our shoes off and the shoes that we wear outside, we're not walking throughout our entire house with those dirty shoes, which makes sense. That's something that we're going to do f from here forward, right? Uh, because imagine the dust and the dirt and the debris, the bacteria that sticks to the bottom of our shoes, and we need to shake the dust. We need to wash those feet. So Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, and then Jesus himself was covered with the dust and the debris, the muck and the mire, the blood and the sin of this world as he hung on that cross for us. But I want to challenge you today. Do you have some dust that you need to shake off? Yeah. Maybe you need to shake off the dust of a bitter divorce. Maybe you need to shake off the dust of a job that was terminated, and you feel like a failure. Maybe you need to shake the dust of hatred from your life. Maybe you need to shake the dust of resentment from your life. Maybe you need to shake the dust of bitterness and leave behind the hurt that others inflicted upon you and move on. Shake the dust from your feet. The sacrament of failure. You gave your best. You tried. It didn't work. What's the lesson? Learn it well and move forward move forward.
shake the dust. Some people need to shake the dust from their Bibles. I love that famous quote by Charles Spurgeon. He said, the devil's not afraid of a dust-covered Bible. The devil's not afraid of a dust-covered Bible. Hopefully there is no dust accumulating spiritually on your life or dust accumulating on your Bible. Paul said, I'm done. Your blood is on your own head, you stiff-necked people, in opposition to them rejecting the gospel. Let's continue now in verses 7 and 8 of uh, Acts 18. Then he left and he went to the home of Titus Justus, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived. (laughs) I love this. There's this Gentile who became another team member, another support, encouragement, and friend of the Apostle Paul and his ministry team, Titus Justus. That's a pretty cool name, isn't it? Titus Justus. He was a Gentile who worshiped God, and it's no coincidence, he lived next door to the synagogue. I love that. He lived next door to the synagogue. And it goes on to say, Cyprus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. And many others in Corinth also heard Paul became believers and were baptized. I love that. So there will always be those who hear the gospel and reject it, but there'll be far more who will hear and receive it, believe, as you have, and be baptized. So Paul's labor there in Corinth was not in vain. It was producing fruit. Some plant, some water, but God ultimately is the one that gives the increase. And this Titus Justice, I love that name, Titus Justice, this Gentile who worshiped God, it said he lived next door to the synagogue. And then it goes on to say, everyone in his household believed. That's the goal of every Christian, right? That everyone in your family will come to faith in Christ. It's no coincidence. The closer you are to God's house, the greater the chances everyone in your household will believe and be saved. Titus Justice lived next door to the synagogue, which was a type of a New Testament church where believers in God would gather to worship and hear the Scripture, the Holy Scriptures read in the synagogue. They couldn't always travel all the way to Jerusalem and be a part of the temple worship, except for maybe two or three times a year, especially for Passover, would they travel. So they had their local synagogues, were like local churches. And this guy, Titus Justice, lived next door. Then it says his entire household believed in, in the Lord. The closer you are to God's house, listen to me, the closer you are to God's family, the closer you are to God's house, the closer you and your family will be to God. Let's continue now in verse 9 of Acts 18, 9 and 10. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid, speak out, don't be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. I love this personal touch, this personal moment. While Paul is working and laboring here in Corinth, He's having some opposition. Life is like a warfare. It's more like a a battleground than a playground. It's not always smooth sailing. 
God comforts Paul. In a night vision, God comes and he speaks to Paul. Oh, I love that. You know, God can come and speak to you through a night vision. Now, ultimately, God speaks to us through the Holy Scriptures. That's the beauty of of now, living now, is that we have the Word of God. And it's through the Word of God, it's through the Scriptures that God can speak a clear, precise word of blessing and word of encouragement in your life. I pray that God is speaking to you through this message. It's not just me up here talking. Hopefully it's the Spirit of God through me, through the Word, speaking to your life today. And there are three words that God is speaking to you, the very three words that God spoke to the Apostle Paul. Number one, fear not. He told Paul in in this verse, in verse 9, he said, don't be afraid. You know, if the Apostle Paul had a superpower, I would have to say this the Apostle Paul's superpower was he, was he was fearless. I mean, here's a guy that endured stonings and shipwrecks and snake bites and imprisonment, and nothing could stop him. But you know what? He was human. There were times he hit that brick wall. There were times that he went up against the wall. There were times when he probably said, I don't know if I can go another day. Thankfully, it's during those times that God does come to us. And his word encourages us. Paul was, God was telling Paul, Paul, fear not. Don't be afraid. What's, what's your greatest fear right now? If you were to write down your, your top three, top five fears, what would they be? Think about that for a moment. Maybe all of us had to deal with the fear of, of, cat, of catching COVID-19, right? Um, and then if you caught it, maybe you would die and not recover. Maybe there's that fear of death, like, wow, I believe in Jesus, I believe in heaven, but like if I was actually at, in, at death's door and I heard it knocking, I mean, like, wow, would I, would I still have this confidence, right? Maybe your greatest fear is losing your job. Maybe you've lost your job and now you're fearful of, of uh, economic recovery in your own life. Maybe there's a fear of losing your marriage, Or maybe you've already lost a marriage, God forbid. And you fear, can I really get through this season? Maybe your fears are financial. Maybe your fears are relational. Maybe your fears are spiritual. Maybe you fear as though God has forsaken you. Maybe you fear as though you've committed the unpardonable sin. God says, don't be afraid. You know, they say there are really two types of fear. There's the fear of failure which produces a, I can't, I can't, I can't, I, I can't recover from this, I, I can't get through this, I, I, I can't make it. The fear of failure is a very potent fear. And then there's the fear of rejection. Whereas the fear of failure says, I can't, I can't, I can't. The fear of rejection says, I have to, I have to, I have to. I've got to perform, I've, I've got to do it right, I've I got to show up. I, if, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't, if I don't. I'll be rejected. The fear. So many people live with the fear of failure and the fear of rejection. But God says, fear not, for I am with you. Through the prophet Isaiah, <laughs> I am with you. I, my right hand is there to strengthen you and to support you. In times of great fear, we need to have 
faith. If you've been a part of our midweek service, we have been talking about feed your faith and starve your doubts, feed your faith and starve your fears, feed your faith and starve your anxieties to death. What we need to do is continue to respond in faith and not in fear, not live in fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear. God says to Paul, fear not. Number two, he said, speak out. Speak out. Don't be silent. Paul, I've got a lot of people in this city that love me. I got a lot of people in the city that are on, 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 the, on our winning team, Paul. So you're not alone. It's kind of like Elijah felt as though he was all alone. And, and God said, Elijah, I have 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Sometimes you might feel all alone. Maybe a lot of your family members, a lot of your co-workers aren't living for Jesus right now. And you feel isolated, right? God is saying, fear not, number one. Number two, speak out. Find your voice. The world needs to hear your voice. The message of God's love and power through you. You're, you're, you're hearing my voice today. I'm speaking out. But God wants you to speak out. Paul was speaking out. He was preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. Find your unique voice. Find your prophetic voice. There's a obscure and yet powerful verse of scripture tucked away in the book of revelation chapter 19 and verse 10 and it says for the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy speak out and i want to encourage you to speak out with your prophetic voice not just a voice that speaks of prophecy and end times i'm talking about a voice that has divine unction from the Holy Spirit. Don't be a parrot of the world's propaganda and the world's lies, saying what the world is saying, saying it the way the world wants you to say it so that you can be pleasing to the world. Let your prophetic voice speak the truth to this generation. I think by and large a lot of churches have lost the testimony of Jesus, which is the, the voice of prophecy. And it's not just speaking about end times, and that's important. Yes, it is. But it's more so speaking prophetically with the voice of a prophet. doesn't mean you are a prophet, but there's this prophetic element. So many, so many churches do not have that element of, of divine unction. And, and so God told Paul, fear not, Paul. Speak out. Find your voice. Child of God, find your voice. In a world filled with voices, in a world filled with lies, what's, what's God telling you to speak to your generation. And we can find our voice because we know the voice of our shepherd. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. We, we don't want to simply parrot the voice of the stranger, the voice of the world, saying what the world says, saying it the way the world wants to say it so that the world applauds you. You want to speak prophetically. You want to speak with the voice of the Spirit to your generation. And then number three, fear not, speak out, you're not alone. These are the three words that God gave to the Apostle Paul. These are the three words that God's giving to us during this crisis that we find ourselves in. You're not alone. I am with you. Thankfully, through modern technology, we can still stay connected. We have so many opportunities, uh, whether you're a child, a, a young, uh, in, in high school, a young adult, women, men's. We have all types of opportunities to connect and stay connected you know, virtually right now. 
And hopefully we are right around the corner from having live services once again. The important thing is to be reminded during a time like this, you're not alone. I think one of the greatest men of the Bible happens to be Joshua. And during a, a great challenging moment in history, the history of the nation of Israel and having to conquer and enter into the promised land. Life is more like a warfare. Uh, Life's more like a battleground than a playground. God comes to Joshua and speaks a word of encouragement. And he says in Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You're not alone. God is with you. Listen, child of God, as we bring this message to an end and we go back into a time of worship, you're not alone. Sometimes you could feel alone. There's a cloud of witnesses, hallelujah. The book of Hebrews 12 tells us that you and I are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses in heaven. You have the Comforter. You have the Holy Spirit. He is with you. You and I have the promises of God. We have the Word of God. God is an ever-present help in the time of need. Fear not. Speak out. You're not alone. And then the Apostle Paul ends, or this chapter ends, verses 11 through 17. It says, so Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, Oh, teaching the Word of God. But when Galileo became governor of Achaia, some Jews rose up together against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to our law. But just as Paul started to make his defense, Galileo turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, I would have a reason to accept your case. But since it's merely a question of words and names and your Jewish law, take care of it yourselves. I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them out of the courtroom. So the crowd then grabbed Sothenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him right there in the courtyard. But Gallio paid no attention. The 18th chapter of the book of Acts concludes, and we see... It wasn't going to be easy to go from city to city and preach the gospel. It wasn't going to be easy to establish churches. It wasn't easy then. It's not easy now. But fear not. Speak out. You're not alone. If you're listening to me today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you can. You're hearing me today and you you need to recommit or rededicate your life to Christ. Today is the day of salvation. God, through this message, through this service, is reaching out to you. I want you to raise your hand. If you're on our Trinity app or you're on our website, you can click and say, yes, I want to accept Christ. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you're watching live by Facebook, there's uh, a link there for you. But I want to lead you in a prayer. If you want to commit or rededicate your life to Christ, say these words after me. Dear God in heaven, I know I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. I call upon you, Jesus. I ask you now, come into my heart. Come into my life. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I turn from sin to the true and living God. I receive His love, His grace, and His forgiveness. Dear God in heaven, 
You're now my father, and I am your child. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Give me strength to live for you and serve you all the days of my life, beginning today for the rest of eternity. My friend, if you prayed that prayer to commit or rededicate your life to Christ, congratulations and welcome to the family of God. Jesus said, when one sinner repents, all the angels in heaven rejoice. And right now, all the angels in heaven are rejoicing because your name has been written. The Bible literally says this in a book called The Book of Life. There's a place reserved for you in glory. Now listen, we believe we exist as a church to come alongside of you and help you continue to grow in your relationship with Christ. Discover who you are in Christ and live out that identity for the rest of your life. So let us know what the Lord's done in your life. We love you. Let's continue to worship God in our giving. Let's continue to worship God with our praise and worship. We love you. We'll see you next week.